Well, have you ever been through a corn maze? I have. Uh, if you haven't been in a corn maze, it's essentially a place where you go to pay money to get lost. That's uh, essentially what it is in a nutshell. And that's what our family decided to do uh, last fall. It was uh, kind of that time of the year where there's nothing else to do because it's COVID. And so we thought, why not go to a corn maze? None of us had ever done it. And so we found this place out in Surrey, and it's this large field where there's this tall stalks of corn, and a farmer has worked really hard to carve out a, a path for people to get lost in. And it was fun at first. It was a, a new experience that no one had engaged in before. But the, the novelty of walking through a corn maze got old pretty quick. You see, because once you're in a corn maze and you've seen stalks of corn and you've seen muddy paths on the ground in front of you, that gets old pretty quick. And after about five or ten minutes, you know, our family and especially our, our kids were like, I think we're done with this. But we had just started out in this large maze, and if, if you know a corn maze, there's a, an entrance and there's one exit. So the only way to get out is to find your way out. And after a while, it just became tiring and tiring, because what's challenging about a corn maze is you can't see above the stalks, you can't see below it. The only way to, to find your way out is to just keep walking. And as you're met with different paths, you have to make a, a a, your best guess as to which path will lead you out. And it felt like after about 15 or 20 minutes that we were just walking around in circles and in circles, which we probably were, and our kids were frustrated and they said they were tired and the, the ground was muddy and everyone was upset. And after about 35 minutes, we finally emerged from this corn maze, dirty, muddy, and never wanting to see corn ever again. <laughs> no one in our family ever wants to eat corn or go to a corn maze or anything again. But as, as I thought about that experience, I thought, you know, uh, a corn maze or a maze of any kind is a good picture for life sometimes. So often in this thing that all of us are trying to figure out called life, it can feel like we're sometimes maybe walking in circles. Sometimes life can feel like a, a place where we sometimes feel like we're, we're lost. And it can be hard to know which way we're supposed to go. And the, the tiredness and the, the overwhelming uh, feelings of, of life, of a global pandemic, of an ongoing war, of uh, dealing with dynamic family relationships, dealing with economic uncertainty, all of these things can, can make life feel like it's a, a maze that we have to try and find our way through. And today we're going to be looking at a passage of scripture where, where Jesus offers all of us a, a clear direction, a clear way forward in all of the, 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 the mess that we hold uh, in this thing called life. And so if you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn to, to John 14. It'll also come up on the screen behind me. And now the, the lead up to this passage is that Jesus has been uh, sharing with his disciples the, the future that awaits him. He's been letting his disciples know that eventually his time will come when, when he will be betrayed, when he'll be arrested, when he'll be crucified, and when he will be killed. And the disciples can probably sense the religious leader starting to close in on Jesus. And recognizing what, uh, what future awaits their leader, they recognize that their future doesn't look too optimistic either. That their future looks bleak. If, if Jesus is going to be killed, what's going to happen to them? And they start to feel anxious and worried about their future. And it's to the, the, the anxiety that they hold as, as, as followers as they think about their own future that Jesus offers these words to try and offer relief. He says in verse 1, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, 
that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. But Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Well, we're continuing on today in our, our series called I Am. Where we're looking at the, the different I Am statements found in the Gospel of John. And throughout this series, we've explored how Jesus is the, the bread of life, how he's the, the light of the world, how he's the door and the, and the good shepherd. And today we're going to be exploring how Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And in each of these I am statements in, in John's gospel, Jesus is trying to reveal a, a part of who he is and, and his mission and his very nature of what he came to do in the world. And this statement of being the, the way, the truth, and the life was in response to the very real worry that the disciples had. You see, the disciples had, had given up everything to follow Jesus. In Jesus, they, they found someone that they, they could find their identity and, and meaning and, and purpose in. They'd given up their, their livelihood, their careers, their families to follow this, this person of Jesus. And now with their, their future seemingly looking bleak and Jesus talking about him leaving them, they start to ask the question, Jesus, where are you going? And that question of, of where are you going are, is the disciples' way of saying, Jesus, where are you going? Because we want to we wanna go where you are going to be. In Jesus, the disciples had found life. And this question of where are you going is their way of saying, if you leave Jesus, where am I going to find myself? Where are we going to find ourselves if, if you're not here, Jesus? And that question of, of where do I find myself is a question that I think most of us ask at some point or another in our life. I have a, a friend who, over the last, in the last 10 years, has relocated his family to four different cities across this country and has changed jobs six times over the last 10 years, all in an attempt to try and find himself. He's searching for contentment, for meaning, for, for, for fulfillment. And these major changes for him and his family has been his way of trying to, to find it. And it looks different for all of us, but I think all of us do that to a degree. Where we look and we reach for certain things to try and find significance, meaning, purpose, and life. For some of us, we find ourselves in, in our career, in our work. We find it in our family, in our relationships. We find ourselves in our, our skill or our natural ability. We find it in the, the image that we present to other people. We find ourselves in all sorts of different things. And the reason that a, a global pandemic can be so uh, jarring to us and can create so much fear, uncertainty, and anxiety is that it disrupts all the places that we've looked to for security, life, and comfort. If there's anything we've learned collectively over the last two years is that life is beyond any of our, any of our control. That life is completely and utterly out of our hands. And it's to the, the troubled hearts of the disciples and to, to those of us here today who, who find ourselves troubled and worried about uncertainty, to all of us who are asking the question, where do I find life, that Jesus offers this I am statement of, of, of where we can find it. And he says in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And in this statement, Jesus offers a, a roadmap to life. And this roadmap of, of how we can find our meaning and our purpose in the world is found in himself. 
And these three kind of individual statements of being the way and the truth and the life all have this progressive nature to them. And they all build upon each other. And as we explore each one of them, we'll, we'll get a, a clearer picture on the roadmap that Jesus lays before us. But he begins by saying, I am the way. Now, I remember as a, as a kid getting lost in Superstore with my mom. And as a kid, Superstore is a pretty big place. Uh, and I had to go and find an employee who could then page my mom on the PA system, and my mom was not happy at all. My mom came and found me, and, and it, was all, it was all roses after that. <laughs> but if you've ever been lost in Superstore, maybe even as an adult, uh, it can be quite nerve-wracking. Or if you've ever been driving in a new city and you get lost, it can be a little bit disorientating and can kind of throw you off a bit. And the same way we can feel lost, whether we're, we're driving without Google Maps, we can sometimes feel lost in our lives. We can feel in the hustle and, and bustle of just work and family and grocery shopping and paying bills and all the different things that we have on our plate. We can find ourselves asking the question, what is this all for? What am I, what am I doing? What am I working so hard for? And it's to that lost feeling that I think some of us hold at different points in our journey that Jesus says, I am the way. Jesus says, if you want clarity for your life, if you want to know what your life is all about and, and where, where to find meaning and where to find hope, he says, I am the way. And here in, in John 14, Jesus makes this exclusive claim where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. By declaring himself as, as the way, Jesus was saying, I am the way to God and to God alone. Now, this statement would have been deeply troubling to the, the Jewish listeners who were listening to Jesus, who largely believed that the only way to God was in keeping the, the law, was in following the law meticulously. And here is Jesus, someone who's just a mere human in their mind, saying that the only way to God is through him. But more to that, Jesus lived in a pluralistic society where there were multiple worldviews and, and multiple gods to be worshipped, very similar to our world today. And it's in this, this worldview, in this world where there are, are multiple different gods and different perspectives on faith that Jesus declares, I am the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. And his statement of being the way pushed against the, 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 the common belief that there are multiple roads to heaven, that there are multiple ways to God. And he declares that if a person wants to find life, if a person wants to know what God is like, then that person must come through me. I remember chatting with my, uh, my uncle, who's a practicing Hindu, and a couple months ago, and we were chatting about, uh, somehow on the topic of faith came up. And he said, you know, I love Jesus. I think Jesus is awesome. And as the conversation continued to, to unfold, I, I realized that, you know, most expressions of Hinduism, there are multiple gods to be worshipped. And for my uncle, Jesus kind of throwing another god in the mix wasn't a, a problem with his particular worldview. But in John 14, Jesus makes it clear that he's not one of, of many ways, but he is the exclusive way to God and to God alone. He fights against the, the idea that there are multiple ways to, to God and, and also fights against the idea in which he sets himself apart as being more than just a good teacher. There's a lot of people today in our, in our world who see Jesus as uh, just a good teacher with some good ideas, someone who, who helped a lot of people. And he's held in the category as, as someone like Mother Teresa or maybe Gandhi, someone who just lived a really good life. But if you read the, the Gospels honestly, Jesus doesn't leave that option for his listeners. He claimed to be, to be more and to be not just a, a good teacher or a good rabbi, but he claimed to be God in flesh. 
And it's this claim that he makes of being God in flesh that gives him the ability and the authority to make this declaration that he is the way. A renowned theologian named Carl Barth was giving a lecture at Princeton Seminary in 1963 with a, a packed group of, of students there. A student asked the question, Dr. Barth, don't you think that God has revealed himself in other religions and not only Christianity? Carl Barth answered, no, God has not revealed himself in any religion, including Christianity, but he has revealed himself in his son. Jesus can make the declaration of, of being the way to God because he claims to be God in flesh, that he becomes a, the image of the invisible God. If you want to know what God looks like, you look at the person of Christ. He fights against the notion of, of being just a, a simple teacher or a, a mere prophet. And he says that he is a, the road to God. If you remember uh, back in the fall, when we had that intense flooding that wiped out uh, a good chunk of, of Highway 1, that, that flooding and then the, the, the closure of, of Highway 1 really disconnected Metro Vancouver from parts of, the, of BC. And there was this period of, of panic where there was questions around, you know, will we get the food we need and will gas be available? And all this sort of panic started to emerge for a few weeks. And in the same way that most of us in Metro Vancouver found ourselves disconnected from other parts of the country, the scriptures describe us as all being disconnected from God because of our, our sin. The things that we engage in every single day to push away God and push away other people, we, we, we live in this disconnected world as we're constantly fragmented from one another and from our maker. But the story of Christ is that God himself enters into our world to do something about that disconnection, to, to rebuild the, the road, to, to restore the, the highway, so to speak, and to, to act as a bridge between us and God through his work on the cross. As 1 Timothy says, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and humans, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all. Jesus can say that he is the, the way to God because in him and in him alone we get a picture of what God is like and he deals with the, the very predicament that we find ourselves in. He can say that he is the way because he does something about it. He restores our relationship with our maker. But he doesn't just say that he is uh, the way. He goes on to say that he is also the truth. Now, part of the reason that you should never Google a, a medical question you have is because you'll likely conclude that you have some life-threatening illness with a, a few hours to live, probably. And it's usually based on advice given by someone who probably has, has no business offering medical advice. We live in a world where there is this, we're inundated with just information, news, and media that it can be hard to, to know what is true and what is a lie. And the question of, of what is truth is a profound one, and it's one's that, a question that humans have been searching for and wrestling with for a, a long time. What does it mean to be a person? What does it mean to exist? What does it mean to, to, to know God and to, to find life? These are, are big, big questions. And we've come to a place in our world where truth has become purely subjective, where I determine the, the truth for my life, and you determine the truth for your life. But the problem with subjective truth is that it's constantly changing. It doesn't stay the same. It changes depending on the most popular worldview or the most popular trend. And part of the, what we're seeing in our world today is, is a clash of just subjective truth views. 
It's one of the reasons that we, we, look upwards towards the, we look upward towards the heavens and ask God that he would come and, and be a, a truth that stands apart from everything else in our world. That's why the psalmist declares in Psalm 43, send out your light and your truth and let them lead me. In a world of subjectivity, we need a truth that is transcendent, a truth that stands above human opinion and can lead us forward. And Jesus himself not only spoke the truth, but he himself embodied the, the very nature of truth in his very being. John 1 says that for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The very nature of, of God's essence of, of embodying truth is, is what Christ embodied in himself. And truth can be defined as, as reality, as something that's real and universal for all something that's the opposite of an illusion. And that's what we find in the person of Jesus. In the life of Jesus, we get a picture of what truth looks like in the way that he lives his life, in the way he, he treats other people, in the way that he, he spends his time, in the way that he prioritizes his relationship with his heavenly father. You get a, a picture of what, what it means to live as a person in truth that's not based on someone's opinion, but that's grounded in God himself. In his famous essay, Live Not by Lies, the 1970 Nobel Prize winning writer Alexander Solzhenitsyn wrote, lies are the mortar in tyranny's wall. And his words were describing uh, the oppressive state of the, the government in which he was living in at the time. But his words ring true about what lies do in our lives, that lies build walls, that they're destructive, that they restrict, that they inhibit. But Jesus offers us a, a different way and he says anything that other than the, the truth of his very life and his very being will entrap us, will restrict us, and will prevent us from experiencing the abundant, rich, and full life that he longs to offer us. This is why later in, in John's gospel, he says, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. That if you know Jesus Christ as the, the truth of God, that that truth will, will set you free from tyranny's walls, from the, from the, the, the facade of, of lies that try to entrap us and distract us from the rich, abundant life of God. And truth isn't just an abstract philosophy, but it's as we, we welcome the, the truth of Christ into our lives that our very knowledge of God is actually formed. That's why Jesus goes on in verse 7 to say, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Jesus, the embodiment of truth, shapes our, our very knowledge of what God is like and how we perceive him in our everyday being. Every human leader, every human being will, will at some point disappoint us, will contradict themselves, and will at some point let us down. But Jesus says, I am the, the way and I am the truth. And he alone embodies truth. He alone lived with perfect wisdom, unfailing love, and complete justice. For all of us longing for, for more truth in our lives and in our world, Jesus says, follow me. I am the way and I am the truth. And finally, he, he, he wraps up this I am statement by saying he's not only the way and the truth, but that he is the life. Now, for years and years, astronomers have been asking the question, is there, there life beyond our planet? And it's a question that's taken millions of, billions of dollars and a ton of time and energy to, for people to try and answer. As people try and look at other planets and other parts of our universe to ask the question, is there life somewhere out there? 
And in the same way that astronomers search the, the endless parts of our universe to, to ask the question, is there life? In some ways, we too exist every moment in this constant quest and search for, for life. We're all searching for, for life and trying to, to find it in different places or another. Whether we, we find it in, in what we accumulate in our stuff, whether we find our life and in, in, in our, in our identity and what we can accomplish in our, uh, in our, in our family relationships, in our persona, and the, the knowledge that we accumulate in our minds, we all try and find life in some way, in some place or another. And Jesus describes here that the life that all of us are, are desperately longing for, the sense of fulfillment that all of our hearts are craving for, is really a, a craving and a longing for him. As Augustine, the, the great thinker, said, our hearts are restless, God, until they rest in you and in you alone. And Augustine names brilliantly that, that longing and that search for life that all of us have in us is really an, a longing for God. That all of us live with a, a hole in our hearts that only God can fulfill and satisfy. And here Jesus declaring that he is the life declares himself as being the one who can offer us that, that life that our hearts crave. As we've heard throughout, uh, throughout this series, the word life here in John 14 and in other places throughout the Gospel of John it's translated from the Greek word zoe. And zoe is, is different, a different type of life than biological life. Zoe refers to a, a quality, a type of quality of life. And the distinction is important because we can be uh, alive as people here today from a biological sense. We can have breath in our lungs, but we can be completely missing out from the quality of life that God intends for us. A life where we're thriving and flourishing and living as the people that he intended us to be. You know, I remember when I, when I became a follower of Christ, I had some friends say to me, you know, Alvin, there's something different about you. We can't really pinpoint what it is, but there's something different about your life and, and about how you live. And I couldn't articulate, I didn't know what they were talking about at the time, but looking back on that experience, I recognized that I think what they saw in me was this quality of life that I think Jesus longs to give. And as I think about my faith journey, there's, there's something about it that I think I've, I've caught a glimpse of. I think I've, I've tasted a, a glimpse of the, of the life that Jesus longs to offer us. My life has been far from perfect, and there's been a, a ton of disappointment, pain, and heartache in my faith journey. But through it all, I've, I've gotten a glimpse of, of what this life that Jesus longs to offer is like, where in pain, you can somehow hold joy at the same time, where in disappointment, there's still uh, a delight and, and an experience of life that can be found. And Jesus goes on to describe that this life is, this quality of life is not something that we only experience in the here and in the now, but it permeates and it makes, it, it makes its way on into the next world that we experience. In John 17, Jesus said, and this is eternal life that they know you. Or sorry, in John 17, there's a prayer that says, and this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. Jesus declares that he is the, the life and he points forward to his resurrection, where death is not the end and death does not defeat him, but he makes a way forward beyond the grave, leading us towards life. And he describes a, a life that we can experience not only here and now, but in the world to come. Where the moment we, we take our final breath in this world, as followers of Christ, we're ushered into a new reality where life continues onward forever with our maker. You know the, the popular phrase YOLO? That was popular a couple years ago, apparently. It stood for you only live once. And it's this idea of, of living in the moment, 
of seizing the day and, and live for now. If you want to go skydiving, YOLO, just do it. If you want to accumulate as much stuff as you want, just do it because you only live once. But in the, the world of Jesus, YOLO doesn't exist. Because as followers of Christ, we're promised that life continues onward from this world into the next. As followers of Christ, we, we live twice. And death is not the end of our story, but the continuation of it. The quality of life we experience here and now with, with Christ himself bleeds into the world to come. Ernest Becker, who's a professor at SFU and a Pulitzer, Pulitzer Prize-winning author, pointed out that every fear we have can be traced back to our ultimate fear of death. That every fear we have as people can be traced back to our fear of death. And there's, there's truth in that. But part of the, the, the hope of the, the Christian story, part of the, the message of Jesus declaring himself as being the way, the truth, and the life, is that he does something about that deep, dark fear that all of us hold. And he says that in me, if you, if you, if you follow in the way of me, death is not the end, but life continues onward. And there's a sense in which when we know that our life is secure with God and where our life will continue on in eternity with our maker, in a sense that, that death doesn't hold us anymore. That the, the, the fear of death starts to lose its grip and all of a sudden we're able to, to live with a, a greater sense of life in the here and now with that fear being put at ease. Jesus declares that he is the way, the truth, and the life because he is the only one who can make that such a bold statement. And he, he declares a statement and he, he backs it up with his very life, with his death, with his resurrection, with his ascension, and his second coming. This is the, the God that we worship. This is the God we come every single week to focus our attention on. The one who allows us to experience a, a restored relationship with God the Father. Jesus makes this, this promise to his worried disciples where he says, uh, in my father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? Do you know that Jesus, Jesus is preparing a place for you? He's preparing a place for, for you to dwell in eternity with God himself. And he says, if you want to join me in this magnificent life that continues on, follow me. I am the way. If you could uh, imagine your life as a, as a destination... Maybe your, your life as a, as a road trip. Where would you say it's headed? If your life was a, a, a road trip or maybe even a movie of some sort, where, where are you going? What's, what's the end story of your life? Jesus makes it clear that, that every other way that we choose to follow will lead us to disappointment, unsatisfaction, and discontent. Any other road that we try and find meaning, purpose, and life in will, will never satisfy but it's only in him and in his very life that we will find everything that we need. That we will find him as the way to God, as the truth that we've been longing for, and the eternal life that we so desperately need. As Thomas Kempis, an author in the late medieval period, said, Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. And without the life, there is no living. When you know that through Christ you found a path to God, as you travel through difficult times, as we make our way, kind of continuing on in this pandemic, as we feel the weight of what's happening in Ukraine, as we deal with economic uncertainty, as we deal with uh, difficult family dynamics, as we deal with difficult health circumstances, 
as bad news continues to come our way as it will and will for us all at some point or another. Jesus says, do not be troubled, but instead follow me for I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he offers these words not as just a false hope and something to hold in our mind, but something that we can hold at the, the depths of our heart to find security, lasting security and an everlasting life and hope in his very life and in his body. We come to the table each and every week to be reminded of the, the life that God comes to offer. In the same way that, that food nourishes us, our body nourishes our bodies and keeps our very bodies alive, we come to, to feast on Christ and to say yes to the way of Jesus and to have his, his everlasting life live and dwell in us. And so if you find yourself here today longing to experience this, this Zoe, this quality type of life, this life that is rich and abundant and full, then you're invited to come to this table and to taste and to see the one who comes to offer his very life for you. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Jesus, in a world where there are so many things pulling and fighting for our heart, so many things that are trying to lead us. We recognize that, that you are the, the way. And we ask that in your mercy and by your spirit, you would show us your way. That as we draw close to you, that you might draw close to us. We ask that by your spirit, you would give us a, a taste of this abundant life that is found in you. That when destruction, pain, heartache, worry, and even death itself come knocking at our door, that we might find hope in you and in you alone. In view of your mercy, we ask, O living God, to come and meet us in this meal, that you would touch the bread and drink and make it holy. And as we participate in this meal, form us into people who look more like you. May we be people who embody the, the very life, death, and resurrection of Christ and in Christ alone. We pray in your name. Amen.